0: American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast.
1: We're going to attempt time travel.
2: Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past, as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in, and we would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and contact information, or just email us at timeshifterspodcast
0: at gmail.com.
3: All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension.
0: Everyone, and welcome back to the Timeshifters podcast. Uh, This is Christopher, and I am here with Tom. Tom, how you been? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited because we have got a voice on the show who's not been on the show in a very long time and used to be on the show all the time. Please welcome back to the show, Steve. Steve, sir, how have you been? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Chris. I am I am happy to be back. Yes, thank you. I'm so thrilled we are able to find a time when you were able to join us and uh, talk about today's film and other things and just generally shoot the breeze it's uh it's awesome to talk to you again it has been a while the
3: the, the podcast is doing a little time traveling of its own
0: kind of <laughs> yeah we're flipping backward back in time a little bit to start the show i'm afraid we got to start kind of with some sad news uh just recently just a couple days really before we recorded uh nichelle nichols famous for playing uhura on the original star trek and the uh the original series films passed away at the age of 89. Uh, Her son, Kyle Johnson said in a statement last night, my mother, Nichelle Nichols succumbed to natural causes and passed away. Her light, however, like the ancient galaxies now being seen for the first time will remain for us and future generations to enjoy, learn from and draw inspiration. Hers was a life well lived. And as such a model for us all. And, I don't know if anything could sum up her life more than her was a hers was a life well lived. That woman was absolutely amazing. Uh, she absolutely. was a singer, a dancer, an actress, a writer, producer, director, uh, wow. and as I pointed out on the one time I got to meet her and talk to her, she worked with NASA as a recruiter uh, yep. for uh, for minority and female uh, astronauts. Just an amazing woman.
3: I mean, I, I always marvel at the story about how she met Dr. King and yeah. mentioned to him how she deeply wanted to be able to march with him, and he just went back to her and said, "You, you're already marching for us. You're, you are showing the world where we should be." So,
0: yeah, and the most famous uh, her interaction with King was that she was she was going to leave the show. I think after the first season, she was like, "Uh, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go strike out, maybe do some Broadway. And he's like, you can't. You have no idea how important it is for black children to see you on that television screen every week. And and talked her into staying. And, you know, thank goodness that he did.
3: I even recently read a snippet from Whoopi Goldberg where she actually recalls seeing – um, Michelle Nichols on the show back when it was on, and running in to tell her mother that there there's a woman that looks like her and she's not a maid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that meant
0: everything to her. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely. So. It was incredible. She was in the command structure. I mean, there was an episode two where she was in command of the Enterprise. Yes, she was fourth in command. <laughs> and uh, Steve and I both had the fortunate, just the luck yes. to actually meet her and talk with her at length. And it will always be one of the greatest moments in this whole podcast life that I've had, that I've led is meeting Michelle Nichols. Yeah. Talk,
2: talk about a flashback to the past. That was a very long time ago, but yeah, we, we did have an opportunity to talk with her. And, um, I don't remember if you were with us at the time, But our friend, my friend, our friend John and I were uh, in the in the green room where the celebrities at the at the convention would hang out and Nichelle walked into the room and it was like royalty had walked into that room. It was it was absolutely I mean, and not just because, you know, she was, you know, uh, it was that the woman just had this air of grace and and composure around her, and and just the absolute sweetest person that you could ever want to meet. Really, just a kind individual. At least that was my impressions of her.
0: I recently went back and uh, looked at the post where I have it in the interview archive. I have the audio interview with her, and there was a great little story told by uh, uh, the founder of the old pod of the old uh, website, John. He was saying that she walked into the green room. And she just sat down on the couch and started to talk to them as if they were old friends. Just yeah, That was just awesome. her way. And she told the story how uh, her, her flight to Denver, she was really concerned about it being a smooth flight because she didn't like turbulence. And the flight ended up being really, it, it went fine. And so she wanted to thank the pilot. And so she was able to go up and, you know, just thank you for the, the smooth ride and everything. And he's like, oh, you're welcome, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> she, she thought that was really
4: sweet. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <sighs>
0: no, I'm thoroughly
3: jealous of your guys' days getting to do that. And to meet Nichelle Nichols would have been amazing.
2: Yeah. It was It was pretty amazing.
0: Hers was a light that burned very brightly. And we were we're just so fortunate that we've got, you know, her entire history to, to look back on. I really, I I thought of it. She really summed up what Trek is all about. I mean, she treated everyone with respect and dignity and she was friendly and kind to everyone she met. And I just feel like you embody Star Trek more than I think anyone possibly could. Yeah, I
3: agree. It's kind of a point of the whole thing Yes, (laughs) is to be the best version of yourself that you can be.
0: Yeah, that, that was a, uh, that was brilliant. And you're right, Steve, that was a while ago. I think it was 2009 because it was right before the new, uh, the new Star Trek film, J.J. Abrams film came out.
2: Yeah, you're right. It was. Yeah. And again, you talk about her just being this, this embodiment of Star Trek. I just, you know, I did a lot of the behind at that point in our in our podcast. I did a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and so I got to see a lot of the interv- all of the interviews actually that she gave to the people who were there at that convention that year. And uh, she, every, everybody, she just treated like they were the a, a wonderful. I mean, how many times has this woman had to sit through and tell these same stories? And every person she just treated like a just a, a wonderful gem. I mean, it was. It was really quite. It was really quite something to see. Yeah,
0: I think she was probably a little pleased because I know uh, I know Dave and Barry asked her about her time with Duke Ellington, which is probably not something yeah. that typically gets asked at a sci-fi convention. Uh, and I had to talk to her about the NASA recruitment. Uh, that's okay. how I t- started my interview with her. I was so interested in this. I was like, "You worked for NASA? What How? <laughs> what happened?" She was just delighted to talk with us and that just made it so much fun and i can remember that day in that interview in my head without even having to go back and listen to it i can kind of remember it and remember i could tell you what she was wearing i could tell you you (laughs) it's just fantastic she was great she not starstruck at all no not at all (laughs) my name is christopher with johnja.net i'm sitting across from the iconic michelle nichols Thank you very much for taking some time to speak with me today.
4: It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: I was, uh, not that I really needed help in remembering all the stuff that you have done in your life, but I was going through your, you know, uh, the biographies and everything and the long list of uh, titles that you can put after your name, actress, author, singer, dancer, producer, for those of us who maybe do not know. The one thing that stuck out that I did not know and I found fascinating was you worked for NASA.
4: Yes. How did that come about? So now you can put. You have to add choreographer, but now you can put recruiter. Yes, recruiter.
0: <laughs> and I, I, I knew about choreographer. Only only that one. Right.
4: Only that one historic moment in my life did I even deign to go out where no man or woman has gone before <laughs> in my position, and and uh, knock on doors of of qualified people who become astronauts, scientists mm-hmm. and engineers and and uh, say, NASA needs you. And they mm-hmm. said, You're crazy. NASA's had six recruitment drives, and they don't want any <laughs> black people, minority people or women. And I said, yes, they do. They mean it. And uh, now. And I've signed on to do that. And if you with the highest qualifications that you have, and want to be an astronaut and don't do it, then I do fail. And right. if I bring them, you, and I don't bring, and they don't, I'm going after the highest qualified people. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, I've promised NASA that I would file a class action suit and, on them and they wish they'd never met me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and would go before Congress. And uh, NASA said, I'll stand with you.
0: That's excellent, and you did it for quite a while, uh, quite a while too. I took a you?
4: year off my uh, career, mm-hmm. and for the uh, last eight months of the recruitment drive, I did radio blitz, TV. I took t- took them down to Good Morning America, and I went to every university I could fit in that had um, a strong physical science uh, department. Mm-hmm. And um, and I brought them in. When I started, they had less than hundred uh, African Americans or minority or minority people, mm-hmm. and less than twelve hundred women. And almost nobody that had signed up was qualified in the areas they were looking for, which was strictly science and right. engineering. And um, like writers wanted to be, and and teachers right, yeah. and so forth. And they said that's later. Um, when I finished, they had something like 3,000 overall men and women on both categories. 1,560 women and over 1,000 minorities, And even white men were listening. (laughs) And they came. And, um, so it was quite successful. NASA was wonderfully uh, pleased and, um... I received their highest civil servants award um, subsequently, and which was my greatest honor. Oh, no, it
0: was well deserved. Yeah. Yes, to um, something completely different. It's just I had a, I had to touch on that because I yes, thought that was just yes. fascinating.
4: Uh, the uh,
0: as you, I'm sure you've heard and you know, there's a, a new you know Star Trek film mm-hmm, coming out, mm-hmm. a a restart of the entire series, yes, of the a. entire J. genre. J.J. Yes.
4: Abrams, mm-hmm. wonderful film. Yeah.
0: Um, how did that strike you when you first heard that there was going to be someone else that was going to be Uhura on the big screen
4: Oh I thought it was fantastic because it's a preclude mm-hmm. you know it's not like they're they're uh, replacing Uhura from the point in time we left off with the film sure okay. you know um, which would be their. Right to do, you know, I they're prerogative, but fans it. might have an issue, yeah. so I might hurt them, <laughs> yes, <You know>. <laughs> bodily. <laughs> but, um, this was a, a prequel to, to the months before the time before we and ends mm-hmm. with a, our going off on that uh five year mission where no man or woman had gone before that's great and i thought it was marvelous oh, good. and i got a call from jj and they invited me to lunch and come to tell me and ask me how i felt i mean he did the courtesy the honor of doing that i thought that was just unbelievable that you know? was very nice of him yes uh, yeah and and um and then i went on the set and they were shooting when i went on the set and when i went on the set i mean very quiet and I'm walking through and all of a sudden everything stops I mean the actors just (laughs) stopped in place they saw me walk in and they were in their lines and went like and sir we have the (laughs) and that was such an honor bestowed upon me you know because I went Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, then that broke the thing and everybody laughed. It was very, oh, well, very funny. As yeah. far as
0: the Star Trek universe goes, you're, you're about as close as a deity as you can get, I guess, if you start walking on sets.
4: So. <laughs> well, that other guy walked on water. Yeah, I walk like... on set and stop. <laughs> this is Nichelle Nichols, Commander Uhura to you. Hailing frequencies are always open at JeanJay.net
0: perfect. Well, we'll leave the sad stuff behind, but we're going to stick to Star Trek a little bit. Now, Tom and I talked, I won't say at length, but we talked a bit last episode about Strange New Worlds, and Steve, I know, have you being a Star Trek fan, I definitely wanted to get your opinion of this series, now that you've, the first season's all done. Well, I'm assuming you watched it. I have. I
2: have. <laughs>
3: no, he's I have. never heard of it before, ever.
2: Absolutely loving, loving it. I mean, it's just... It is. It's like it's gone back and recaptured uh, some of the the pureness of what Star of what Star Trek was from the original series and the Next Generation. Um, it really, really quite just a just a fun show to watch. The their decision to make it you know, very very uh, opposed to what television has become nowadays they're making it episodic, you know, there, yes, there are some threads that, that wander through the stories, but for the most part, you know, they do standalone episodes like old school television and it's refreshing and it works really well.
0: Yeah. Especially because it's preparing, it's only airing on a streaming service and the thing to do with a streaming service is binge. Yeah. Yeah. But they're putting it out once a week and yeah. like you said it's episodic so you can't i mean you can binge but it's not required yeah tv today is what has a lot of the the people who binge in mind which is why they do that long form story where they have the big arc and you go from one to another and everything and in this one it's it's just so for, for refreshing to watch an episode be done with that story and then you sit there and go i can't wait till next week yeah exactly <laughs> And it's not because of the cliffhanger. It's just because this was so much fun.
3: (laughs) Part of the fun of the episodic uh, scenario for doing TV is it's a new story the next time you get it. Sometimes if you create this thread and not everybody's on board with this or enjoying it, you're forced to suffer through that if you're trying to hang with a series at all. Yeah with it being contained short stories you you know if this one didn't quite didn't hit home for you there's hope for the next one I mean we've all lived through the the 90s versions of Star Trek with with TNG and Deep Space 9 and Voyager where you could rely on that whole idea that you know if you didn't like this episode you you got a shot at do, liking the next one. And, and that's great. That that was fun. And it's missing from a lot of television these days.
2: Yeah. And, and that has given the, the producers of Strange New World the opportunity to... I mean, we had an episode this season that was flat-out horror. You know, we yeah. had an epi- episode that was fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. we had we had some, some really deep thought episodes with some, you know, some, some, some really deep, uh, deep concepts. They've been able to like explore all over the place, which again, reminds me of, you know, the original series and and how it was able to explore all over the place. Yeah.
3: I've really enjoyed too how quickly, um, this particular team and cast and crew, have all just gelled like right away so even though this is a fresh series they're already able to jump into some of the more tongue-in-cheek and more just let's hone in on a, a single individual and find out more about their character and just have a little fun with it and just have fun period like I know we touched on uh, when we were talking about the concept of enterprise bingo. That's awesome. (laughs) The notion that if you're to get assigned to the enterprise, there's a list of things that you can do to to be considered truly part of the crew. (laughs) I love that. Actually, they steal that straight out of the Navy too. There's all sorts of hazing stuff that goes on in the Navy. Um, So
0: that. That was awesome to see them actually do that. <laughs> okay, I, so I have to ask you, Steve. So Tom and I yes. have talked about this. What yes. do you think of the ship? What do you think of the the reimagined Enterprise?
2: I I am pretty mostly okay with it. It is it is a mostly faithful reinterpretation of what we what. A, it's a modern interpretation of what what this 1960s sets would have looked like. I think maybe there's a little too much lights and neon going on, um, but it's I I think it's actually a, a pretty decent uh, interpretation of it. I have a little bit of trouble with you know the captain having a fireplace and a and a, and a, <laughs> and a cool dining set service for for 20 in his in his quarters um but you yeah, know it's prerogative <laughs> but yeah I I actually think it's it is a a decent reimagining of of what that ship would look like yeah all right I mean yeah I mean that's he, the correct
3: answer by the way <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Uh, 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 unlike christopher's interpretation
2: (laughs) no no well i'm thinking back to like the end like the the i think it was called relics actually the the next generation episode where uh we have scotty on board and he 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 calls up the enterprise from on the holodeck it's just i just think that would kind of in some ways, I think that if we saw if if that was where this these stories were set, I think it would kind of break the fourth wall. I think it would just kind of hard to be believe believe that that after all that we've seen before in the Next Generation DS Nine and Voyager and Discovery, um, I think it would just be hard to believe that yeah, that's a spaceship, you know. So. Um, yeah, I think I think they have done a, a a fantastic fantastic job.
0: You're certainly not giving the technological advances in plywood in the 24th century much credit, but <laughs> uh,
3: uh, I actually uh, a friend of mine uh, just recently got access to Paramount Plus because I'm cheap and didn't pay for it. Um, but uh, in getting to watch a little bit of that. Uh, if you watch Strange New Worlds through Paramount Plus, you get all the little extras that uh, that have been shot. A lot of them are available online, at any rate. But one of them I saw was with uh, Will Wheaton did a little snippet for upcoming season where they've created another um, set that they're going to do. It, it's going to be um, essentially this this Enterprise bar. There, there's a going to be a, a gathering place, not just the uh, the uh, um, cafeteria space that they had, which looked way better on this than it did in the original series. But <laughs> but uh, they've created this other space, and one of the touches, and you mentioned the fireplace.
4: Um,
3: while I don't know the 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 thought process, but behind having open flame fireplace on board a ship in space. but uh, it was a very, that was a very 60s style um, fireplace that he has in his uh, quarters. In the new set that they're working on, the, the chairs that are sitting at the tables are all the original style 60s chairs that were originally on the bridge. Because oh, sure. oh, those, pla- those, those plastic form chairs that, yeah. that they had, those are now going to be down in this uh, other space, and they're just seating for the tables. In fact, um, they were having a conversation in, on um, the original series. They just took the same chair, and then they, they hooked a few different things up to them to make it look a little more official, like it belonged on a bridge. But in this case, they took them raw. They just did... <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. It looks li- just like we want it, and it'll make you think of that space.
2: It's a, it's a it's a chair, yeah. That's yes, a, but
3: yeah. but the it, the notion that in this version they still steal 60s style to add to the ship <laughs> to get get you that linkage. Yeah, um, back to the original
2: series. I like that. Those touches are awesome. And, yeah, and right, speaking right. of that, um, um, uh, I mean, was the the that the callback to the the uh, balance of terror episode. I mean, wasn't that absolutely amazing?
0: Yeah, I was I think my face was sore from smiling through by the time <laughs> that episode was finished.
2: And and um God, I'm blanking on his name, but the, the captain that they've cast is as Hanson uh, Mel. Yeah, it, he they could not have done a better job in casting. Absolutely he you know, you can you can go back and watch, uh, you know, the the failed or maybe not failed the 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 unaired pilot from uh, the original Star Trek and watch uh, Jeffrey Hunter and boy does uh, uh, this new guy really he really gets it. Well, he he looks like the man
3: too. I was going to say uh, they
0: could actually do like a Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Hunter uh, uh, biopic. And cast Anson Mount.
3: <laughs> and, and did either of you catch? Uh, there is a point uh, in I even believe it's that last episode where there's there's a photo sitting in his uh, quarters where he is wearing pilot episode style tunic. Is he huh. very cool? I didn't yes. see that. It's a nice little Easter egg that's in there. But yeah, he he's a. Uh, in the photo, he's with – I forget who he's with at the time. But, yeah, they're wearing the puffy neck, um, collared uh, tunics that uh, were the were the uniform just before this one. So I really love that touch. Yeah. And I couldn't I, – aside from all the balance of terror stuff, just Anson Mount himself. He's delightful to watch. Um, and then watching him act against himself – and the way that his own character is picking himself apart while <laughs> mm-hmm. they're have, having a shared conversation, I could just watch it just for that. I mean,
0: <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, it was a it was a fun episode. It's been just a, yeah. such a fun series. Yeah,
3: Re- no, I really Re- can't wait for second se- season. And as we discussed the last time, the
0: big concern
3: is did did they hit it big? right away and are they going to ruin it next
0: <laughs> yeah can they keep it going <laughs> yes yeah
3: like i'm both uh ex- I, i'm sure you guys have heard it out of the san diego comic-con stuff and all that jonathan frakes is going to direct an episode and it's actually going to be an episode that will tie in uh the lower decks show with strange new worlds
0: i've heard that I. <laughs> I have no idea how they're going to yeah. pull this off. I,
3: I, I am going to try to put a little trust in this particular uh, production crew and writers. And if it's Jonathan Frakes, it'll be done with love. Uh, I, I'm putting a little faith in there. But, yes, it makes me a little like, oh, are you going to ruin it? <laughs> Especially since the voice actors, uh, not that I have any problem with the voice actors, but the voice actors who play the characters on Lower Decks are actually going to be the live-action versions of themselves.
0: Oh, okay. See, that's where I didn't know if it was actually all going to be live-action, or if they were going to somehow like do like a Supernatural Scooby-Doo crossover sort of thing, and have it all animated, or... I, I don't
3: know what's all tied in, but they did, the, the actors did at least admit they get to be live-action
2: versions of their characters. So that well, should be interesting. Yeah, it'll be different. And, and again, we're back to the fact that it's episodic, you know? You don't like that episode? Just forget it ever happened and keep watching. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll be the one that just... Crawls under your skin
0: later. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to kind of just ignore the whole pirate episode and move on to the all the other ones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the pirate episode had some fun stuff in it too. It was okay. It was my least favorite among among them all. Thank you, Steve, for giving your input on that. It's it is. We'll definitely revisit this series again as it. Progresses, and uh, we'll see what happens when it comes to the second and third season, which we know we are going to get. So. Yay! I didn't read that part, so you actually just made my night.
3: I'm pretty <laughs> sure, isn't it already renewed for a third? I, I know that they had done second right out; they hadn't even aired first season, and second was already in production.
0: Uh, but I hadn't heard that third. Okay, well, I may have misspoken. I thought it was already renewed for a third, but I think Oh, damn, don't crush me like that. <laughs> Sorry.
4: <laughs>
3: I thought that was a confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> damn it, Paramount, make it happen. Just sign it up for five
0: years. It's fine. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, studios now apparently will spend $90 million on a film and then not show it. So oh. who knows what Paramount might oh. do.
3: I didn't know we were going to get to that, but yeah, what up, what up with that? <laughs> yeah, it
0: just popped in my head. Uh, just real quick, yeah, uh, Warner Brothers has decided that the $90 million they spent on the Batgirl movie, eh, they're just going to ignore it and, and not not going to show up on their streaming service, not going to show up in the theaters.
3: I was having a conversation with somebody at lunch about this, and, and, uh, um, there's so many different versions of the story, and I haven't actually gotten a definitive one. I have heard, um, at least from my friend today, he had heard that the movie was just so terrible that they didn't want to release it. That doesn't sound like DC at all. They don't seem to ma- mind releasing anything
0: else. Um, <laughs> yeah, as someone else, a friend of mine's like, wait, we had to suffer two releases of Morpheus, but they won't release Batgirl? <laughs> <laughs>
3: there, there's that. Um and then I had actually heard that somewhere in the merger with Discovery, uh, that they were looking for cost savings related to this. And if they just shelve yeah. this entire movie, they can write off the 90 yeah. million, which I've heard of that stuff happening, but yeah, well, you would think this wouldn't be the property to do
2: that with. Yeah, that's yeah, I that, think... that, yeah that I heard most recently, uh, was that the 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 guy who's in charge now, and I'm not—I don't remember names. I'm not, not well, wasn't expecting to talk about this, but uh, the guy who's in charge now of the joined company is known for being an axe man and for cutting ruthlessly. So it doesn't—hearing that—it doesn't surprise me that he would—that he would, particularly, you know, when these when these mergers happen, you know, the people there's no they have no skin in the game to keep going with the projects that somebody else at that other company did so it's not unusual but yeah my, my guess we'll never get to see what it was
0: yeah we shall we shall see i commented on the post somewhere in one of the socials like wouldn't it be interesting if this was just like a marketing ploy to make everyone really want to see it ah. and if so ah. i'm in <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, because, I mean,
3: when, once you start doing something like this to a property, that just drives up demand for it. Like, we didn't know what we wanted it, but now you took it away. Now I really want it.
0: Right. Well, maybe it'll leak. Maybe it'll, quote-unquote, leak, leak out to the public. Okay. Yeah.
3: Is it going to leak out to the public like the original Fantastic Four film did? <laughs> yeah. The, the one back from, what was it,
0: the 80s, 90s? The only good Nine. Fantastic Four yeah. film to date? As sad as that is. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, I don't want to go any further down that rabbit hole. So we will go ahead and take a break. And then uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about 1981's Time Bandits.
3: Love Mystery Science Theater 3000, then I'm here to tell you that my podcast, Bill Watches Movies, is just like that. Well, except that there's no robots or mad scientists. But if you're a fellow weirdo, find the show in your favorite podcast machine or at BillMakesPodcast.com and Powered by the occasional shot of bourbon, we will take a humorous look at the B-movies of our past. Again, that's Bill Watches Movies. Bourbon not included.
1: Remember my voice? I do trailers. All kinds of trailers. 23, take two. One day they'll put me in a film, a proper full-length job. Until then, I'm just stuck with this sort of stuff. Go and see this. Don't miss that. The most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close li- <laughs> Close encounters. Close encounters. The film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. The you know what? Time Bandits, the one you are supposed to be promoting.
3: Remember? <coughs>
1: <coughs> you flocked to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? What's page two man?
2: It's under page one. See? Oh,
1: yeah. time bandits can offer you much much more it's not the special effects or flying men or droids which makes time bandits a unique cinematic cinematic you know pertaining to the cinema Mm -hmm cinematic experience it's the makeup yes folks you've never seen anything like it men made up to look like monsters monsters made up to look like men look alike men made up to look different different men made up to look alike no expense has been paired spared on the pan stick the pan stick no expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man just a minute just a minute what about the plot the what the plot what the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen? Well, I can't see every film I do, how can I? Oh, wonderful, (laughs) terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-T. Finished. Kaput. Finito. What about the trailer? I'll do it. (laughs) Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. (laughs) What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest! (laughs) Honest! Smallest! What's that got to do with it?
0: (laughs) Time Bandits is a British fantasy adventure film co-written, produced, and directed by Terry Gilliam, with appearances by Sean Connery, John Cleese, Shelley Duvall, Catherine Hellman, Ian Holm, Michael Palin, Peter Vaughn, and David Warner. And that final name is why we decided to kind of change up our schedule and talk about Time Bandits. We were going to go ahead and do the Bill and Ted Face the Music after having done their excellent adventure, but... David Warner, unfortunately, also just recently passed away uh, in between recordings. And so we thought we should find some time travel film with David Warner. And uh, since we already discussed time after time a few years ago, and maybe we need to revisit that. But we hadn't talked about Time Bandits yet, so here we are. And Steve, you mentioned that this was one of your favorite films, which is what brought you back yes. on here yes, absolutely
2: love this film um it's it's yeah uh, uh, i've I've always been a fan of it and and uh, David Warner is just is just like uh with the perfect casting in this in this movie.
0: Now, David Warner, for anyone who may not know was an English actor. He played a lot he played uh supporting characters and villainous characters and just any kind of character you like. Uh, In films like Titanic and Tron, Uh, he passed away at the age of 80. He apparently died from a cancer-related illness, according to his family, that they uh, issued in a statement. There was a uh, great quote from um, David Warner in an interview with the AV Club. He says, I've done war pictures, I've done westerns, I've done sci-fi. I mean, I wasn't in Harry Potter, and I wasn't in Lord of the Rings. And I haven't been in Game of Thrones, so there are those big ones that I haven't managed to do, but that's showbiz. And you know, I think I've still done okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And yeah, he was, for for like this 20-year period between like the 80s and, and 2000, you know, if if you wanted to cast this this gaunt looking you know tall gaunt looking villain character he was the go-to guy for that you know it was like i think that was probably you know uh, uh well he passed that on to to alan rickman became the, the the that character that actor that you would cast for those characters uh you know in the in the in the 2000s but you know for the for Two decades before that, no. David Warner was the was the guy that you would cast if you wanted that look for your villain.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely! I, I have gone back and watched a lot of uh, like seventies and especially eighties horror. And I'm amazed how many times he pops up. And just yeah. you, you you have no ideas in it. You're like, oh, wax work. Let's watch that. Oh, look, David Warner. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> what was maybe? What was the earliest? film do you think you've seen at the time where you know your first uh experience with david warner i was thinking about this and for me it was probably tron yeah yeah and, I, and
3: actually i kind of needed all of this to remind me that that was him in tron yeah <laughs>
2: Not not only does he play the the evil you know computer program or the 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 the, the, the blackie Stark, like, yeah Stark in in, not uh, Stark. in Zark Zark Stark Stark S,
0: yes Zark.
2: Uh, in in Tron, but you know he also plays the the evil executive that's behind the whole scheme in the real world. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's a uh, he's uh, he's got that he's got that
0: character going on. <laughs> There's so many films, you know, when he passed away, you can't help but start looking up his, you know, an actor's filmography and everything. And there's all the films that you know he was in. And then you go back and like, oh, oh, he did he did that film. Oh, he did a film like this. Oh, he did. He did this movie. Uh, There's a whole bunch that I need to go back and like I, I need to fill in all my you know some more David Warner in my in my life. He did a remake of the 39 steps in 78, which I'm really curious to see. Hmm. Um, and I had forgotten that he's uh weirdly enough, I actually forgot that he had a little bit of uh Star Trek cred. It he one of in Star Trek, yeah. Uh both in some original series films and in like one of the next gen episodes.
3: You're, you're even forgetting
0: the uh, um,
3: original series movie, uh, uh, depending on how you feel, uh, Wrath of Khan versus the other ones, but Undiscovered Country, he was Chancellor Gorkin in that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, the one that I had forgotten, uh, he was the voice of Ra's Al Ghul in, in the Batman animated series. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, oh, he was brilliant in that, too
3: he's almost ubiquitous you find that he's almost in everything that you've ever watched and you didn't even realize it at the time
0: yeah yeah exactly or or you go back and you, you realize you're looking at his filmography and you go back and i've seen that movie was he in that he was in that <laughs> Yeah, exactly <laughs> what's funny is i'm even noting
3: uh his last credit that i find on imdb uh, was actually for an a Teen Titans Go episode he did a voice for a character. Why not? And that was in 2020. Yeah, why
0: not? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant actor. So uh very very sad to see him to see him go and at, at the age of 80 I'm thinking he would probably still be working, you know, if he hadn't gotten sick. Yeah. Indeed. Pretty, pretty uh, there,
3: there wasn't anybody that wasn't going to hire him. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah. Who would be foolish enough to turn down, a, you know, hiring David Warner? I think there's exactly. got to be young directors and stuff, you know, writing things and and coming up with films and going, yeah, this is going to be like a David Warner character, and then someone yeah. saying, we could probably get David. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we uh we watched Time Bandits. Uh, a little bit more story on this. It was co-written by uh, Gilliam with fellow Monty Python, Michael Palin, and was financed by uh, ex-Beatle George Harrison's Handmade Films. And Gilliam has referred to Time Bandits as the first in his Trilogy of Imagination, followed by Brazil in 85 and ending with The Adventures of Baron Munchausen in 1988. Mm -hmm. Uh, The real stars of this film here are Craig Warnock as young Kevin, David Rappaport as Randall, Kenny Baker as Fidget, Malcolm Dixon as Strutter, Mike Edmonds as Aug, Jack Purvis as Wally, and Tiny Ross as Vermin. These play are time bandits in the film. Young Kevin is a boy obsessed with history and largely ignored by his parents, who are more interested in doing all they can to keep up with the neighbors in their purchasing of the latest household gadgets. One night while Kevin tries to go to sleep, a knight in armor on his steed bursts through his wardrobe and after wrecking the room, disappears into a forest that should be Kevin's bedroom wall. In a blink of an eye, the knight is gone and the room appears normal and untouched. The next night, Kevin prepares himself with a bag of supplies, a flashlight, and a Polaroid camera. He starts to fall asleep when six little people sneak out of the wardrobe. They attack Kevin, mistaking him for the Supreme Beam, who they are on the run from after stealing a very special map. When the real Supreme Beam appears, they use the map to find a time hole in Kevin's room and escape. Kevin follows and falls headfirst into an adventure with these crooks as they set out to steal riches from the past and avoid the Supreme Beam. And unbeknownst to them, the embodiment of evil is after them as well to claim the special map. And yes, David Warner, appropriately... Is evil in this film? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the character's name, Evil.
0: Just Evil. Evil.
2: Evil Genius.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do think they call him Evil Genius uh, throughout the film, don't? or at least he, that's and, what he calls himself. Maybe, and,
3: and that's how uh, that's how IMDb has chosen to title the character name. So,
0: all right, fair enough. Yeah, well, I think that's like I said, I think that's what he calls himself. Yeah, there should be a name or two in that list of. Uh, credits that sounds familiar particularly kenny baker kenny baker yeah who uh very famously was r2d2 and all the just about all if not all the star wars that r2 appeared yeah so let's talk about history of the film now like i said earlier steve you said this was one of your favorite films uh yeah was this something you you saw back in the day in 81 or did you catch up with it later
2: I, I saw it pretty close to 81. I I remember uh, going over to my aunt's place and my uncle had set up what for the, the days of the early 80s would have been the home theater system with the, you know, uh, 65, 60 inch or 65 inch projection screen television that was, you know, five feet deep
0: and right
2: and uh, Jeez. and the surround sound and, and I remember watching it on on video and uh, it was yeah it was it was pretty fun and amazing so yeah no I did not see it in theater boy would it be fun to see in theater um, but I did see it on on you know the 80s equivalent of the home of the home theater.
0: Tom, what about yourself?
3: This one feels like something, and I know I haven't watched this since I was a kid, so this would have been probably something on Channel 19 when it showed up on one of the weekend matinees or something like that. That's the only way I seem to recall this film. It's actually kind of stunning. Um, I know I had seen it, but watching it again, it was like, I really don't remember a whole lot of this film. Uh, I, in fact, actually, I was rather amused because since we just did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I, I was extra amused that uh, as soon as I'm watching a, another time travel-related film that Napoleon made such a prominent <laughs> appearance
0: in this one as well as it did, as he did in uh, Bill and Ted's. Yeah, except this one he has a golden hand, which is why he hides it under his coat. <laughs> We, we discover. <laughs>
3: yes, but he's almost as equally amusing
0: in this one as he was
3: in Bill Yes,
0: House. very true.
3: Who, who knew Napoleon was funny?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, watching this film, I don't think prior to this, I've seen this all the way through before. I knew scenes. I recognized moments. Man. I recognized scenes within the film. I don't think I've ever actually watched this all the way through before, so this may be technically a first-time watch. I'm not sure how I've have seen bits and pieces unless it was just clips shown somewhere or, are, like you were saying, Tom, that it was on a 19 matinee and I tuned in in the last 10 minutes before sure. something else was coming on. Because I definitely remember the, the the smoldering rock of evil and everything at the end. But uh, yeah, there was so much of this film that I had no, no knowledge of whatsoever. <laughs> and certainly had no knowledge of, you know, I mentioned a whole bunch of the uh, appearances of some celebrities and stuff. Nothing, nothing in my head <laughs> that knew that they were coming up.
3: I was aware Sean Connery was in this, but I couldn't have, like, I I couldn't picture where he was in the film until I watched it this time. <laughs>
0: And weirdly, you know Sean Connery is Agamemnon. I kind of want to watch that movie <laughs> i I like really liked him <laughs> well, that, that was actually uh, again,
3: since this may as well have been a a first watch because I did not have enough recollection of this to to remember um, the Agamemnon section of it where also our our hero he's. He wants to stay there. This is the ideal life for him. He has somebody that cares about him. He he's uh, he's about to be the son of a king. Uh, he he will want for nothing and get to uh, get raised in this uh, in this particular time. And then he's stolen away from it by by, this, by <laughs> our bandits. And I'm like, this is
0: kind of awful at this point. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This this dream turns into a nightmare.
2: Yeah. I I remember I, when when they wrote the script for this, they, they put in the script that, you know, Agamemnon removes his helmet and is someone that looks like Sean Connery. And as part of the, as part of the production, they're like, why don't we ask? And sure <laughs> enough, he said yes. <laughs> someone that looks like Sean Connery or Sean Connery, you know.
3: <laughs> Turns out he'll do pretty much anything anyway. But <laughs>
0: yeah, they, they, they probably said, hey, look, you did Zardoz. You can do Time Bandits.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you give me PTSD over Zardoz. That was <laughs> awful, awful
0: film. <laughs> it was no surprise to see... It, some of the other Monty Pythons show up. Uh, John Cleese, of course, as Robin Hood, which definitely a version of Robin Hood we'd not seen before. (laughs) That was hilarious. (laughs) And Michael Palin making a couple uh, cameo appearances along with Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall is such an interesting-looking actress. (laughs) (laughs) She is unique. I can't help but think, you know, when they did Popeye in Caster of Is Olive Oil, it's kind of like, oh, that was... this is why you exist. <laughs> there, is,
2: there are some, much like Patrick Stewart was born to be Professor Xavier, you know, there are some actors that are just born for a particular role. You know? Yes. <laughs>
3: I don't know if it's particularly flattering to her that, that, that olive oil... <laughs> <I'm> sorry. Like, <laughs> no, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs>
0: there was one or two that popped up that surprised me. One, I I kind of recognized her and thought, is that who I think it is? And I had to look up. Catherine Hellman appears. She's a, like Mrs. Ogre.
3: Yes! Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: apparently she was cast because... Terry Gilliam really liked her in Soap, which she was huh. appearing in at the time. I knew her um, from, I, wasn't she also in Who's the Boss? Yes. Was she yes. not Mona in Who's the Boss? Yeah, she's Mona. Yeah, that's where I recognize your fun. It's like, what is she doing here? <laughs> <laughs> she had such an
3: interesting character for as brief as she was in the, yeah. the film that she's this wife of this ogre. And apparently, his witch, for more, for lack of a better term, because she's just constantly making concoctions
2: to 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 keep keep all of his various ailments at bay. I, I really, and tell me if you guys agree, but I really think it's it's quite a bit of, of well crafting the way this movie is able to walk this line of being absolutely, utterly ridiculous but never taking you out of this. It never takes you out of the story. You know, it always just draws you in a little further, but you know, there just, it just keeps getting more ridiculous and more absurd, but it just keeps drawing you further into the story and never, never takes you out of it.
0: Mostly. I think there are times where, and because we've got Terry Gilliam at the helm and because we have John Cleese and Michael Palin popping up, there are times where I feel like, I feel like I'm watching a Monty Python sketch.
2: Yeah, okay, time. fair enough.
3: And, and to that point, I felt like we were moving from sketch to sketch to sketch. There might as well have been the the typical Monty Python um, little animated sequence between each of the things. Yes, And, and unfortunately, moving from the various... Points in history and all that they started to play essentially exactly the same way the The same elements would be there 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 would be some little conflict they'd figure out how to get their treasure they'd get out of there they'd lose their treasure and we'd start rinse and repeat that that was kind of the scenario that kind of kept going through it um, I, where I like and, and I want to ask you Steve because uh, yeah. you you, you love this film I do take us through the love like what what are the elements for you that make this uh a such a fond memory for you I just
0: and, I, and then, then I'll, I'll I'll poo all over it later yeah I'll probably <laughs> Yeah, this sounds like a setup steve don't do it <laughs> <laughs> this movie was actually
2: my introduction to terry gilliam and and the monty python and i'd never seen any of that before so that was that was pretty mind-blowing i i really loved the idea of the of the chase through time and and uh you know, when the when the Supreme Being shows up, you know, those transitions between those those sketches, right? When the Supreme Being shows up, you know, return the map, you know, and uh those were those were those were fun. Um and then the turn you know, and of course, you know, typical of Terry Gilliam turns the whole thing on its head by the by the end of the story. Um I just yeah, it just just a very fond memories of, of, of this film. And I think you know, the casting was fun. The the story was fun. Yeah. So what do you think, Tom? Um,
3: I think, uh, for this one, uh, well, the minute I finished watching it, I go, well, that was weird. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and and I was prepared. Uh, I I know Terry Gilliam's work, so I, I was prepared for the weirdness. Um, I don't think it's great. Uh, It's kind of a mess through some of it. But what I enjoy in this film is more the meta level uh, of it all. Um, The the notion of, did this happen? Or is this just this kid's dream? And then you get those little touches um, where, no, it's not a dream. He has some physical evidence that this has happened but i mean no one will believe anything related to it and but the the whole notion that this is just god tinkering with um the world trying to just work out the kinks in, in, in what he's done throughout time and space and, and that yeah you know uh he's got these little minions that do this and he set them all up to do this this time banded thing like, somehow it was their idea to go do it, and it's totally not. Um, but then you when you get to the yeah. end and the kid is... He, the supreme being is essentially saying, the kid's insignificant, I don't really care what happens to him. And you're like, yeah, that'd probably be God. That sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but by the time you get to the ending, I have to admit, I'm a little unsatisfied with the ending because... We've defeated evil, although apparently we're going to work on evil because we've taken away the parts. Uh, So he's going to have another crack at evil at some point. But what's left of evil kills the kid's parents. Um, Sean Connery makes an appearance again as a firefighter at the end of the film after putting out his house. He winks at the kid as he's leaving, but they leave the kid. Yeah, there's there's no resolution there. <laughs> there's none whatsoever. There's this kid, and I'm assuming that has more to do with the whole meta thing, anyways. The whole there there's kind of this weird sense that um, there's a thing going on in the universe that we are just not really privy to. It is rolling whether we want it to or not. And essentially, our life is insignificant in comparison to all of that, which is what we're saying with the kid is like, you know what? His parents are dead. The fire department's left him behind. His buddies and the Supreme Being have taken off. He's there to stand in the wreckage of his life. And that's how (laughs) life
2: works. (laughs) That sounds just like Terry Gilliam. Yeah. You know. (laughs) The, the thing that, that Chris mentioned uh, at, at the beginning of this, you know, that, that uh, Gilliam considers this part of his fantasy trilogy. Trilogy
0: of imagination.
2: Yeah, trilogy. There, uh, trilogy of imagination. Thank you. We've got Baron Munchausen. We've got this movie. And we've got... Um, Brazil. 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 Thank you. And we've got Brazil. All of those movies, we can't trust the story that we're being told. You know, maybe we're hearing maybe we're hearing the right story. Maybe it's all being made up. You know, we we just we just can't trust the story we're being told. So, like like you asked, Tom, did this really happen?
3: <laughs> well, I love that psychological aspect, and, and, and yeah. I love the little tidbits. The the thing uh, that this movie is really good with is all of its sets. Like yes, yeah, I mean. You live in that world. You are yeah. immersed in it. A- and the kid's bedroom is is amazing. Because if you blink, you'll miss half of it. But everything that he experiences is set out in his room in some sort of play. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Legos built to look like uh, something that happened. Or he's got little scenes of... Uh, of people battling one another, or there's a picture on the wall of the horse that <laughs> ran through
2: his, uh, yeah. his bedroom. Yep. That whole notion uh, is reality real. Yeah. That, that whole, the whole final battle, uh, with evil, you know, that all takes, you know, you could see giant Legos in the background, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, I-, I was
3: noting the, uh, and I loved that part. I, I was hoping we we're going to discuss that a little bit. Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, I forget what they referred to that land and all that, but that that guy's castle, for lack of a better term, right, right, was literally made out of Lego pieces.
2: Yep, yep, and and stuff that shows you know the 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 cowboys show up, you know, and the and the tanks that shows up, things you'd expect to find on a kid's floor, you know, in a kid's bedroom, you know. Well, uh, and even the uh, the the from the future
3: the the laser shooting jet. Plain thing, yeah. So looks Man. like some sort of old fifties space toy.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So, so I, I was kind of really digging that whole. Uh, like I said, you, you have to take this out of its parts. Like if you're just going to try to watch it as a comedy, I don't know that that works. If you're trying to watch it as a science fiction kind of thing. That doesn't entirely work. No. It, it is very complicated, um, and there's you got to be inside um, Terry Gilliam's head to really kind
0: of understand what just happened. Whether or not it was a dream or really happened, I almost feel like this story isn't so much that it's a dream that's happening, but this is like a, a visual representation of a story that ele- that an 11 year old would make up you know, something for school or he wants to tell his parents a story or something like that. And he would tell, and, and then you get to the end and, and, and then there was cowboys and they had, and they brought a tank and right. Yeah. And a rocket ship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you
3: know what I'm actually, I, I had thought about that a lot since I watched it is the notion of the first time I had ever seen this, whether I watched it in its entirety or not, I was a kid. I was the age, roughly, of the kid that was in in the movie. So from that perspective, this thing is probably the greatest thing since sliced bread because this is my head laid out in movie mm-hmm. form. And then watching it again as a 49-year-old, and I'm going, well, that's just weird. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, clearly I have lost a touch of my childhood uh, <laughs> in, in some of that because... Yeah, I can't, my, my head is not in that same space these days, but I think it's very much written from a child's perspective.
0: I've read somewhere that Terry Gilliam, you know, we were talking about the, as they're visiting the different points of history and everything, and obviously there is like some giant inaccuracies. <laughs> but he actually said that it was written at, with an 11-year-old's view of, of history. history. And I I think you can take that a little further. And that's where I was saying that this entire story could be taken from the view of an 11-year-old's imagination. Yeah. I don't think we're really meant to believe that any of this is real or a dream. This is just, this is a kid telling a story to somebody. (laughs) And And this is how it ends. And that's just... And I could see it. I could see an 11-year-old telling the story. And then, and then they're fighting evil, and they do this and this and this. And then, then he wakes up, and it, it, made me, it was like a dream. And, and then his parents get blown up. You know, at the, at the end. You've read stories like this. You see these, these uh, articles and, and stuff on, uh, online and whatever about papers turned in by some sixth grader or something like that yeah. that the teachers talk about. And these are this, the, the, this is that kind of story.
3: This is the kid's book report where he kind of
0: read the book and then went off on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of this movie that I liked, Uh, as you said. The set, the 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 whole design of the thing is amazing. There there wasn't a moment that I didn't like watching it. Uh, Some of the acting is fantastic. You know, David Warner is evil, and it's he's. Does evil with that sort of um, tongue-in-cheek. You know, he's, he's shooting guys with his, his fingertip lasers and stuff. And the one guy he, he shoots by accident. And sorry, <laughs> you know? um, he's brilliant. Uh, I, I get a kick out of you know. This is 1981, filmed in Britain, and I'm getting a kick out of picking out all these actors that I've seen in classic Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> There's so many little elements of this film that I really enjoy, but overall, did I like the movie? And that's where I'm like, I, I guess, (laughs) you know, do do all those parts equal a whole for me? And I'm I'm not sure it does. Hmm. And I wonder if I was like Steve, if I had watched this when I was younger, before seeing anything like Monty Python. Before seeing any of a uh, Flying Circus, before seeing the Holy Grail, would I have a different view on this film?
3: Well, and as I understand it from some of the stuff that I looked up, it, it, it's supposed to be clear that this is not a Monty Python film. It's right. not intended to be such. Just because there's more than their fair share of, <laughs> of people from it, it's not intended to be a Monty Python property. Right, and I understand that, yeah.
0: but... right. But you have that other experience. I Yeah, I can't help but look at it and view it almost at least as a Monty Python property.
3: Oh, I know, because, I mean, it's colored throughout it. Whether he intended to or not, it shares way too much in common yeah. with Monty Python.
2: Yeah, particularly compared to the other two movies that he references. You know, it has a lot more in common with Monty Python than Brazil or uh, Baron Munchausen.
3: Well, uh, I mean... The the even the visuals, um, you could take some of those exaggerated cartoon sketch things that they did for Monty Python, and interpret them as live action things, like the giant walking out of the surf with the boat on his head. Yeah. That reminds me of, like, some of the big-footed uh, yeah. animations yes. that yes, uh, Monty Python would do when it would come down and it would squish a building. The giant stepped on the house.
0: I'm yeah. Like, it's yeah. right out of their own old stuff. Yeah. I think whenever they're in, like, an actual set, I, I lose the Monty Python feeling a little bit. But when they're in the village or they're in the forest and then invariably um, Michael Palin shows up, it's Monty Python. (laughs) It's a Python sketch.
3: The thing I found interesting with Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall's uh, appearances in the film, it's clearly a gag that they – that they were going for because, I mean, in they were in different time periods and yet they still appeared as couples in, but they only appeared in two t- time periods. Um, right. I think there's like a rule of threes whenever you're doing a gag like that. They needed to show up at least one more time for it <laughs> to be completely a gag. Twice. <laughs> it's just not quite right.
0: Yeah, it, it's a little bit like someone trying to tell a joke and they don't quite land the uh, punchline.
3: Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. maybe that's our, our American-ness over British humor. British humor is different. It's drier. Yeah, it's uh, its timing is different. So I, I will concede that it might be hysterical there and
0: not so much here. But Or maybe Gilliam sat there and. Well, yeah, yeah, two's okay, but if we do it three times, then people will really think this is a Monty Python film. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> no, the weirdness of the film doesn't surprise me. Like I, Tom, you said it, it's coming out of Gilliam. It was uh, financed through George Harrison. You, you, you know what you're expecting as soon as you read those names. <laughs> you know, you kind of know what you're. There could be into. some psychedelic, uh, products that were involved. <laughs> Very possibly. Yes. In the, in the, uh, creation or production uh, or both. Yeah. 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 For me, this one is a, definitely just the, um, the parts rather than the whole, uh, mm-hmm. there is just so much that I like, but just overall, it's not one that it's not one I'm really going to share. You know, I'm not, it's not one that I'm like, Oh, Ben, you know, you gotta see this. I just watched this movie the other night and you're going this is so much fun. You know, it that's that's not this movie for me.
3: So sorry, Steve. You're completely wrong. No,
0: <laughs> no I think it's no, I no, think no. it <laughs> is a matter of uh, of perspective and just when you were first introduced to this to this film. I, I feel that way with a lot of films uh, that came out in uh, like the 80s, whether you saw it when you were a child versus if you watched it for the first time as an adult. I will never be a fan of like Goonies, but there are tons of people my age mm-hmm. that love that movie. And I can't help but think, you saw it when you were a kid. That ingrained that love. And even if you mm-hmm. watch it now, you still love it. But if you, like myself, didn't watch it when you were younger and you watch it now, sorry, that film doesn't work.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually kind
0: of curious
3: if we sat down a bunch of 11-year-olds in front of Time Bandits with this in, <laughs> with this ingrain on them. Because uh, it, it does. It feels like a, it, it, it's entirely written and made for children. And I'm not saying that in a negative at all. It is written like it's a child's mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really think that was the point. I think what Chris has been on about with the whole, this is how a kid tells a story based off of his limited experience and trying to learn the things that we teach them in school. This was an interpretation of of that with a lot of adventure and imagination uh, to match the trilogy of imagination. Um, So I can see that. Uh, Actually, I i'm not familiar with the third movie i am familiar with time bandits and brazil i'd be curious um has anyone uh, what what is it dr munchausen is that what that Uh, Either have
0: you seen that yep i again that is one where i think i have seen bits and pieces i know i've not seen it all the way through i only saw
2: it uh, relatively recently, I'd have to go back and, and refresh my memory on it, but uh, only saw it relatively recently for the first time, and uh, again, it's it's a Monty Python story, it's a, you know Sure
3: But where I'm going with this is, uh, I have seen Time Bandits, I have seen Brazil I, If Dr. Munchausen is the third Baron, Baron. Baron Munchausen Sorry Um, Seriously, I have not seen or heard of the property before at all, so um, uh, forgive me, I I don't watch everything in existence, not yet at least. Um, So, uh, since this is about imagination, Brazil is very much set in a 30-year-old's kind of life. There's a lot of that whole... There's that workaday grind kind of thing that plays through there and the stuff that happens that takes you out of it. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering if this is a, a trip through people's imaginations through their cycle of life. Poss- um, possibly. So, so um, that that now I'm actually kind of curious to go watch yeah. the other two.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a really great point because I'm thinking of Baron Munchausen. I'm almost thinking that that's like you know, is that like your midlife crisis film? Yeah, midlife, or maybe kind of early onset of the golden years, the uh, yep. sixties, trying to reclaim, kind kind of going off, trying to reclaim the the glory of your younger days, and that all. That I
3: don't thing? know the thrust of it, so I kind of yeah. I am now kind of Jones to go see the other two films yeah. to see if my theory is on on
2: par because I haven't read anything. I, I think that's a pretty good theory, yeah yeah, because okay. Brazil is definitely that uh thirty middle level career bureaucrat you know fantasizing what life would how much better life would be if thus and such happened you know so absolutely i, I and think that, that bell that just went off is an indicator that I did get the answer
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just, seriously, You're I'm going to go person, and find yeah. the other two to start watching them just so that I can go, okay, I think I'm on to something. Yep. <laughs> and if you guys out in the universe have written about this and it already exists, I don't care. I
0: discovered it on my own right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a time shifter. This is this is definitely the first time anyone's ever thought of this.
3: We're talking about movies that are easily 30, 40 years old, but no, we thought of it now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> shall we talk about how other people
0: thought of it I have to expect there's plenty of reviews at the time for this one
3: um, there are um, I'm really only going to go through the one, uh, I mean I can touch on some of the other ones because there are lots of people that loved it called it win- wonderfully whimsical child children's fantasy that came out of Jordan Farley from film um, there's uh, time out London, Nigel Floyd, an extraordinary inventive fantasy in which schoolboy Warnock is rescued from a dull suburban existence. There's lots of that kind of praise going on. But I actually really liked what Roger Ebert had to say about this. And I think this is going to hit for you particular, Chris, after the conversation we just had. Just going to read his first paragraph from this. Uh, He says... First reactions while viewing Time Bandits, it's amazingly well produced. The historic locations are jammed with character and detail. This is the only live action movie I've seen that literally looks like pages out of Heavy Metal magazine with kings and swordsmen and wide-eyed little boys and fearsome beasts. But the movie's repetitive, monotonous in the midst of Of all this activity. Basically, it's just a kid and six dwarves racing breathlessly through one set piece after another, shouting at one another. I walked out of the screening in an unsettled state of mind. When the lights go up, I'm usually fairly certain whether or not I've seen a good movie. But my reaction to Time Bandits was ambiguous. I had great admiration for what was physically placed on the screen. This movie is worth seeing just to watch, but I was disappointed by the breathless way the dramatic scenes were handled and by a breakneck pace that undermined the most important elements of comedy, which is timing. So he basically laid out what you just said about it, that the, the notion that he, he just didn't know
0: <laughs> there's
3: lots to like, and there was lots to not like.
0: I did not read that review before we sat down to discuss. That's the first time I'm hearing that. It, yeah. He sums it up really well. And, it, and actually even the way he, he mentioned some of the stuff, the, the, the break net pace yeah it turns into slapstick you know with the, the six time bandits you know when they they start beating up on each other and they're doing this and that and it's like i feel like i'm watching a vaudeville sketch or something like that at times and then later he goes on into the review to just
3: kind of re- reference um that he ha- if he puts himself in a child's mindset this movie is fantastic um mm-hmm. and it at one point it, he says that uh, um, that someone unblinkingly refers to it as a child's movie, and then he goes, of course, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we're on to something with the notion that this is entirely intended to have that child mindset when you're watching
0: yeah. it. it. It occurred to me that even um, even how he sees his parents... Mm-hmm. They could be perfectly normal parents, but how does a like 11 year old child, when their parents are talking about just their, the day to day stuff that they have to go through, they have to pay the bills, they have to go to work, they have to do this for the house or whatever, what does that look at look like to a 10, 11 year old mind? It looks like these parents who are mm-hmm. more concerned with watching whatever's on the TV or this new gadget or. Uh, mentioning something about the neighbors, you know, that's boring stuff The kids aren't even paying, really paying attention at what they're saying. I I had a, I had a moment
3: during the film, especially since you mentioned the parents. um, I have to wonder if JK Rowling had seen time bandits before she wrote Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, Mm. Because, The circumstances with the parents play out an awful lot, like um, Harry's adoptive parents (laughs) in in the books and
0: movies. Had Kevin's room been under the stairs. Right, exactly.
3: (laughs) Well, and their whole aloof uh, attitude toward their their son and all that compared to the... The way they all treated Harry, it just paralleled a whole lot for me while I was watching that scene, and it, it could just be British life, right? As far as I know. So,
0: all right. Well, I guess that's going to do it. Unless anyone, either one of you, will have any closing thoughts. Come on, Steve. This is your moment to shine. This is where where it all comes. I
2: you. I am, I am still I, I maybe maybe it is nostalgia but I am still going to say I would I would recommend this movie. I would show it to an 11-year-old absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure they would
3: love it. This is not him condoning that you go out and find a random 11-year-old to show it to
0: them. <laughs> right. Yes. No. Yes, no. Important safety. Very. Thank 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 you very much Tom for that. Yes. <laughs> just wanted to clarify absolutely
2: on the the podcast yeah
0: (laughs) right. well I think next time uh, Tom and I will go back to what we were planning on doing originally we were going to watch Bill and Ted's face the music uh, on our next episode Uh, we'll be back in two weeks for that thank you very much for listening Steve thank you very much for joining us and uh, you kind of helped you know kind of share this film with us I really Mm -hmm. appreciate it
3: I was super stoked when uh, he said uh, you wanted to be a part of this. So
0: thank you. For I'm glad to, be, to be a part. Thank you. And you are, of course, welcome back anytime. Thank you. So that will do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you later. Bye. See you.